LifePoint's all about Jesus, people, and mission. Jesus is first, people matter, and we're on a mission to get Jesus to people locally and globally. And uh, we are so glad that you are here. We are glad to have Caleb and Roe in the house. Caleb is going to be preaching tonight. Roe was singing right here, and uh, we love them dearly, and they've got friends with them. We're glad that they're all here. Mom and Dad's here. And I am so grateful to have in the house today Mike and Debbie Williams. This is Roe's mom and dad. They've become fast friends of ours. They were here at our dedication, and they have just, uh, they're family. They're in the family. We're, we're family now. And uh, they are wonderful people. They pastor the Pentecostals of Apopka in Florida, right outside of Orlando. And I want him to come right now. He's going to bring the word. He is a phenomenal preacher, man of God, done an incredible work in Apopka. If you ever go to Disney World, Go to church in Apopka that Sunday, because I know when you're on vacation, you, you go to church, right? You don't vacation from church. So when you're down there, go to the Pentecostals of Apopka. We are so glad to have you, Mike. I love you. I want you to preach the word. Let's give him a welcome. Let's stand and clap our hands together and give praise verbally unto God. Come on, let's give a shout unto God. What a great presence of the Lord is in this place. We are honored to be with you today, and it is, as the privilege is all of ours to be able to worship with you and to take just a few moments of your time and hopefully to, with you, enter into that divine presence that is the difference maker. Everybody said amen. You may be seated. According to Psalm 68, the earth shook, the heavens dropped, and even Sinai itself moved at God's presence. Isaiah wistfully yearned for God to rend the heavens, to come down, that the mountains might flow down at the Lord's presence. When Habakkuk the prophet encountered God, the Bible said that his belly trembled and his lips quivered, his knees buckled, and there was rottenness in his bones at the Lord's presence. Adam hid. Thomas cried, my Lord and my God. The centurions who had come to arrest the Christ fell backward to the ground. John the Beloved fell as dead in Acts 2. The Bible said great fear came upon them all because of God's presence. In Acts 4, they took note of the disciples that they had in fact been with Jesus. First Chronicles 16 assures us that glory and honor are in His presence, that strength and gladness are in his place. The psalmist declared, Thou wilt show me the path of life, and then admitted that in thy presence is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Isaiah thundered to God's people, Hast thou not known? Hast 
Thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is he weary. There is no searching his understanding. He giveth power to the faint. To them that hath not might, he increases strength. The youth shall faint and be weary. The young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall Renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Such is the power of his presence. When once that presence lighted upon a mountain, the Bible said that mountain smoked. When it settled down upon the earth, the Bible tells us the earth quaked. When it passed, before the beleaguered prophet Elijah at the mouth of a cave, there was wind and fire. Daniel had the presence in the den of lions, and the lions had lockjaw. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had the presence, and their flesh would not burn. Elijah had the presence and laid his body down on that of a dead boy, hand to hand, mouth to mouth, and breathed the breath of life into that boy again. That's the power of his presence. Because absolutely anything can happen in the presence of the Lord. When God's glory is manifest among us, then all things are possible. Through the prophet Malachi, God closed the first testament by telling us, I am the Lord and I change not. In the Hebrew letter, he supplemented that truth when he said, I am Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. A God without variableness, neither shadow of turning. Not just the Bible, but the record of our race is filled with examples of men experiencing God. So when I come out here this morning and begin to speak yearningly of experiencing God's presence, I am not expecting nor am I asking for something that is beyond reason or without precedent. God is in this place because God is in this people. And where God is, anything is possible. Adam and Eve experienced him in the garden. Noah had a meeting with God at a post-ark altar. Enoch was translated. Abraham met him on the plains of Mamre. Jacob met him at Luz and later Jabbok. Moses found him beside a fiery bush. Joshua encountered him at Jericho. Samson in a heathen temple. Deborah in the valley of Jezreel. Elijah met him on the summit of Carmel. Elisha, no fewer than 14 times. Saul found God among the prophets. David in seasons of illimitable worship. Isaiah discovered God when King Uzziah died. Jeremiah met him in a dungeon. Ezekiel met him by the river Shabar among the captives in Babylon. And with the advent of Jesus Christ, his earthly ministry, those encounters did not end. They increased. And they have marked these two millennia of time since. And so I said that to say this, that God's presence is in this place and every person in this place has not only the power but the privilege of encountering the presence of the divine God. In his presence is fullness of joy. 
Luke 10, 19 is written in red. Behold, I give you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm you. Isaiah 8 thunders to us, Behold, I and the children the Lord hath given me are for signs and for wonders. Indeed, Matthew 16 catalogs a long litany of supernatural acts and then assures us these signs shall follow them that believe. In Acts 14, God granted signs and wonders to be done by the apostles' hands. In Hebrews 2, 4, he bore them witness both with signs and wonders and divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. Hear me when I tell you this morning that God's presence is in this place. And when God's presence is in a place, then anything is possible. Not a truth of one but two testaments. The sun stood still. The meal multiplied. The pottage was supernaturally purified. The Bible said an axe head did swim. The heavens dried up. The ravens fed a prophet. A rod blossomed. A river parted. A mountain smoked. Fire fell. Manna appeared. Water flowed out of a flint rock. The sundial moved backward. The moon halted in the valley of Agilon. It didn't stop in the First Testament. Water becomes wine. Tax money is found in a fish's mouth. The lad's lunch feeds thousands. Lepers are cleansed. The maim are made whole. Somebody shout yes. The lame walk. The dumb talk. The deaf receive their hearing. The blind receive their sight. The dead are raised to life again. And I have come to say that what he was, he is still. And what he did then, he is doing now. So clap your hands, all your people, and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Who he was, he is, and what he did, he's doing, bearing not them but us witness, both with signs and wonders and divers, miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost. You see, we dare not come out here this morning and be tempted, as indisputably some are, to hang our head when we read the book of Acts of the Apostles. We must not doubt that the very same kingdom that came to them has come to us and has come to us in its fullness. The events that we read in the book of Acts and long for are merely highlights of what happened over a period of 30 years in 32 different countries, in 54 cities, on nine Mediterranean islands. They're the highlights of what happened in that wide diversity of places and circumstance. Let me tell you what. You sit down and chronicle not only what he has done, but what he is doing for us here and now. 
not in some far-flung foreign field, but even in our blessed United States. And you will clearly come to the conclusion that each of us and all of us are experiencing that same kingdom, that it is the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom, say us. Say us. It's the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. He withholds no good thing from them that walk uprightly. That indeed he has freely given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. I challenge you to stand in the power of the kingdom of Jesus Christ that is resident within your heart and head today. And understand that in God's presence anything is possible. See, whatever our circumstance or situation, whatever our momentary lot in life today, whatever Democlean sword may be hanging over our heavy heads this morning, you and I must unequivocally believe in the power of the presence that is within us. Paul was powerful. He towers over the New Testament. But the Bible said that Paul left Trophimus at Miletum sick. He admitted there was given to him a thorn in the flesh. He wrote the Corinthian Christians about his afflictions, his necessities, his distresses, and his stripes. He spoke of his imprisonments and his tumult. And he actually said to the Apostle Paul that we laud so justifiably that his ministry was approved not only by honor but dishonor, not only good reports but evil reports, by deceivers as well as truth tellers. And he pronounced himself unknown yet well known, dying but alive, chastened but not killed, and sorrowful yet rejoicing. Anybody home? Anybody realizing that this context of contradiction, that these dichotomies that attend our life, attended the life of the magnificent great man of God, the Apostle Paul, that wrote half the New Testament? He said he was poor, but he made many rich. He had nothing but possessed all Things He detailed his labors, his stripes, his beatings, his stonings, his prisons, his death, how he was shipwrecked and spent a night and the day in the deep. He suffered perils, he said, say perils, of waters and robbers and countrymen and heathen and false brethren in the city, in the wilderness, in the sea. Some of them he was dry and for some he was wet. This mighty man who had quite literally bent the axis of Asia around the cross of Jesus Christ by his own testimony. He experienced weariness, painfulness, hunger, thirst, cold, nakedness. He even said the governor of Damascus was so eager to apprehend him that he himself, Paul, had to escape through a window in a basket down a wall to get away. He told the Ephesian believers and elders that he knew by prophetic utterance that bonds and afflictions awaited him. But his response to all this reality of his was this, none of these things move me. Paul said, notwithstanding all that I have 
so honestly admitted, attend my life. He said, you need to know that above and beyond it all, nothing moves me. Nothing changes or alters my direction. Nothing changes my destination. Not disease, not death, not defeat, not peril, not poverty, not privation. They may all for the moment be my lot, my momentary experience, but it's not my life. It does not move me. It does not change my direction or alter my course. He said, as a matter of fact, neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He conceded, Paul did. He said, we are troubled on every side. Come on, whoever you are, you might as well shout it, amen. We are troubled, he said, on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. And we are cast down, but we're not destroyed. The J.B. Phillips translation says, I may be knocked down, but I've never been knocked out. See, you and I have to understand that the divine will sometimes may include a den. Daniel. Or a furnace. Shadrach. It may include a thorn or a jail cell. A cross. Disease or even death. But the messianic prophet foretold a time. He said that God was going to take that cup of trembling out of our hands. Read it in the prophetic utterances. He said I'm going to take that cup of trembling out of your hand. And I'm going to put it into the hands of them that afflict you. Somebody ought to know this morning that God is fixing to take that cup out of your hand. And he's going to put it into the hand of whomever has been afflicting you. Revelation 12 tells us unequivocally there was war in heaven and may I say there still is and Michael and the angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought and all his angels read it Revelation 12 12 and the dragon prevailed not he did not prevail against the son of God he will not prevail against the sons of God he did not prevail then he will not prevail now he did not prevail there he will not prevail here somebody shout yes for somebody right here and now in this service today I'm confident that cup is changing hands the psalmist saw it he said it they intended evil against thee they imagined a mischievous device but then he said which they are not able to perform. In other words, the devil wants to and the devil tries to, but the devil can't. He, yeah, he imagines evil. He intends mischief, but he's not able to pull it off. That's why the Bible said the angels of the Lord encamp round about them that fear him to deliver them. They're ministering spirits sent to minister unto them that shall be heirs of salvation. Hear what Jehovah told Jeremiah. They shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail. 
And here we are back to my original premise. The next line says, for I am with thee. They shall fight, but they shall not prevail, for I am with thee. And I have made thee this day, God said to Jeremiah, I have made you a defensed city and an iron pillar and a brazen wall. Hear the apostolic writer. For this purpose, the Son of Man was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whatever the adversary has concocted, whatever the enemy of your soul has undertaken to assault you with, the Bible said the very purpose of the incarnation was that our Savior might undo or might destroy the works of the devil. I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it, and I will also do it. For no weapon formed against you shall prosper, and no man shall stand before you all your days. That's what this Holy Bible says. We have a lady named Hazel Reed. She's a sweet little Jamaican lady, and she worked in our jail ministry, and she was working at a work release center, and there was a school teacher who, for whatever reason I know not, had been put in that detention, and she had a small baby, and and she was going to her court hearing. And so Sister Hazel Reed came to me one night, and she said, will you anoint a prayer cloth that we can give this school teacher? She's going to her court hearing. And so we prayed over one and gave it to her, and she came back a few services later, and she said, Brother Williams, she said, my school teacher friend at work release center went to ch- went to court, and the judge was very stern in his remarks to her and indicated that he was fixing to remand her to jail. And so she stood and asked if she could be excused to go to the ladies' room, and a bailiff went with her, and she went into the ladies' room, and she pulled that prayer cloth. This is how Hazel said it, out of her bosom. I don't say that. You got to pull it out of wherever it is. Uh, On that prayer cloth was written Proverbs 21.1. Even the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And he turneth it whithersoever he will as the rivers of water. That school teacher looked in that mirror and said, God, I need your help. I need your help. She went back in that court, and the same judge that had just been sternly lecturing her slammed his gavel, and he said, I've changed my mind. I'm remanding you back to your work release center for three weeks, and then you can go home to your baby. Now, the the beauty of that is this, that while Hazel was standing in our altar telling of that prayer being answered, one of our pulpit staff came up behind me and jerked on my coat and said, I need the mic. So when Hazel finished, I handed it to him, and he pointed to Chris Wixon standing on the front row of our choir who was scheduled for shoulder surgery that week. He could not raise his arm. He was standing on the front row of the choir singing, and Chris, while we had been worshiping and praising God in the middle of the service, had realized that his arm felt different. And so this brother on our pulpit staff points to him, and Chris has his arm spinning around and around and around, and he still hadn't had surgery on it. 
So, so while everybody is still worshiping over that, our Sunday school director, a guy named Tracy, jumps up out of his seat. And, and we were careful because he worked for the post office for years, and we weren't sure. Whether, but he came running toward the platform. And I was kidding. And he says, Pastor, I have to tell this. And so I hand Tracy the mic. And he says, I've had this horrific black-looking cancer on my chest that the doctors are worried about and we're scheduling him for surgery. And he said, I was here at the prayer room at 6 o'clock one morning this week. And he said, I felt so so, so much that I wanted somebody to pray for me and anoint me with oil, but there wasn't anybody else there yet. So I went and got the oil body and I anointed myself and I went home about my day. And he said, when I laid down in bed that night beside my wife, I was telling her how crazy I felt getting an oil bottle and putting oil on my own head, praying for myself, but I felt like I needed to do it. And he opened his pajama top to show her. And as he did, that black cancer fell off on his sheet. Now, I'm only telling you to tell you this. The presence of God is in this place and in this people. And when God is in a place and in a people, anything is possible. Stand to your feet very quickly. God is no respecter of persons. God is no respecter of persons. God doesn't have one set of rules for people with certain stature and another set of rules for people without. Creed, color, economic strata, none of it means anything to God. We are all sons of God and daughters of God. And I'm telling every person in this place that the divine presence that is among us is capable of touching every one of us and whatever circumstance and situation is defining your life right now this morning. God has the power to fix it. Here's what I want us to do. You don't need to be afraid. There's a reason we have altars. I want us to move as if we were one, all of us, every person who will, and just stand shoulder to shoulder in this altar. And I want us to believe. Listen to me, please. I want us to believe that every hurting heart that every empty soul, that every troubled mind, that every spirit that has been besieged by some torment, that it's all fixing to go right now. That it's all about to leave. If you've got a friend here, maybe standing next to you, you may want to reach over and take their hand. Become a point of contact, of faith. But what I want us to do is very simple. Listen. I want us with our voices... To begin to call out on God. You can raise, clap, lift, whatever you want to do with your hands. But here's what I want us to do. I want us to pray that the Holy Spirit of God will settle down on this place right now. And every heart that is hurting, every mind that is troubled, every soul that is racked by sin, every person who is fighting a temptation they cannot overcome that right here and right now that the Holy Spirit of God will settle on us with an anointing and that a deliverance will come will you do that will you do that every saint of God come on every guest every person lift your voice lift your heart lift your spirit